0: Welcome to the Thurfield Chapel Sermon Podcast. My name is Paul Dutton. I serve as part of the leadership team as pastor here at Thurfield Chapel. Great to see you here uh, this morning. Welcome uh, if you're watching uh, online. Um, just before we get into the text, uh, just to say, we, uh, we, so we encounter Simon today in our passage. Jesus later gives him the name Peter. Now, if I find myself switching between the name Simon and... And Peter, we're talking about the same person. I'll try and keep it as it is in the text, but, you know, habits of used to calling him uh, Peter, so we'll see where we go. But let's pray uh, as we come to look at Luke 5 again. Father, we thank you uh, for your word, uh, for what we have had read to us, read over us, uh, and now we pray as we spend time uh, thinking on it that the words of my mouth or that the meditations of all our hearts uh, may be pleasing in your sight. Amen. So have you ever felt sidelined? Sidelined in life? Uh, Maybe you've experienced that literally. Uh, You wanted to join a sports team uh, because you wanted to play that sport, but you weren't considered good enough. Uh, So you were were literally sidelined. You spent more of your time lugging equipment around than actually playing on the field. Or at school, on the school playground, you were the last to be chosen. You all line up and people choose who's going to be on the team. You're <sighs> Always at the end. Feeling sidelined. Maybe in a social context. Now, you're part of the group, but you're not really part of the group. So everyone's gathered around, you're there talking, people are planning, discussing what they're going to do that evening, how they're going to meet up together but you've not been invited to it. You feel sidelined. And you can be invited to something and feel sidelined. When I was uh, at primary school, uh, every now and then i go to my best friend's house and uh, he'd get out his Atari computer console. We're going back a few years now. Uh, and the game Ghostbusters. We were going to bust some ghosts together. I say we, I was mainly watching because it's like, you know, here's this awesome game. Look at, look at what I'm playing, Paul. And adding all these different things to the Ghostbuster vehicle and we're going to go around. And you're like, yeah, this looks really cool. Can I play? Eventually you get the controller. Looking forward to it. Oh, actually, hang on. This is a difficult part. Let me do it for you. Uh, but I'm not just a victim. I can be guilty in that too. Sometimes I can get very task-orientated. Now, last night, Ben and Claire were over Um, And we tried something of of an escape room game that we had. Uh, I found myself at one point just in the corner trying to solve this mass puzzle for about 45 minutes, minutes, yeah. We only had 90 minutes. (laughs) Great evening, eh? Uh, Tanya, Ben, Claire, sorry. Um, You may well have felt sidelined. No one wants to feel sidelined. Feels like there's there's no point being there when we feel sidelined but also I apologize because that's not an expression of who God is. Because we see in Scripture the revelation of this good news that God is not someone who sidelines us. God does not sideline us. And in Scripture, at the very beginning, God creates humanity in His image. These creatures of the dirt are exalted to this place of honor. To rule and to reign. God commissions humanity to fill the earth and subdue it. To rule it in accordance with his good rule uh, and his good reign. There's this divine human partnership uh, that is going on here. It's this great honor, this great privilege. And yet we as humanity, uh, we rebel, we reject that, we seize, we grasp. Now we want to rule and reign on our own terms. Uh, And the result is disastrous. We have death and destruction. And so ultimately, God enters into this world as Jesus Christ to fulfill humanity's purpose. To fulfill what we were created to do. And yet, in that fulfillment, there is something wonderfully, beautifully glorious. Because in God's kingdom, we're not sidelined. Jesus brings the purposes of humanity to fulfillment, but not so that we then become these disqualified spectators, as Jesus does it all, but rather we are brought into the life of Christ. And we see that being played out uh, in our passage this morning. So do you have uh, your Bibles open to Luke's gospel, or if you've got your Luke journals, now have them open uh, to chapter 5. As we continue our series in Luke's gospel, and we've been considering this theme constantly as we go through it, how Luke uh, is written to demonstrate that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of all God's plans and his promises. And from the very beginning, God's purpose has always been that the blessing of his presence extend over the whole earth. That's the mandate that is given to humanity at the very beginning. That's what is meant by fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, And this is brought to its fulfillment in Christ, and it's a story that we're brought into in Christ. So last week we saw Jesus going out proclaiming this good news. The good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God has broken into this world. Uh, And then he goes and he demonstrates his power over dark uh, and over oppressive powers. Now the people in Capernaum, they try to keep Jesus to themselves, Jesus says, no, I I need to go out. I need to go to the other towns also. This is a message that is to spread. The kingdom of God is to spread, is to extend ultimately over the whole earth. And so Jesus goes out, and and that's what we see happening at the end of chapter 4. Jesus goes out to the other towns and the other villages. And then we come now to chapter 5. And what happens in chapter 5? Jesus calls a number of fishermen. And he calls them to do what? At the very end of the passage, we see to fish for people. In other words, to join in this work, uh, this kingdom work, this mission that Jesus is on. And so rather than Jesus just simply bringing to fulfillment the purposes of humanity, and then us being cast to one side. It's not like my friend, I'll play the computer game and you just watch. See, Jesus not only brings the purposes of humanity to fulfillment, but then we are brought into that. We are brought into that fulfillment. And that the kingdom of God, this divine human partnership, it is restored both in, but also through Jesus. And there are two things that we're going to look at uh, this morning then, and that's how Jesus restores and how Jesus draws. Jesus draws people to himself. Uh, Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So they're out there on the lake of uh, Gennesaret. It's another name for the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you can maybe see on that diagram there, at the town there on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has attracted quite a crowd. So much so that he needs to now get into a boat because there's so many people pressing and crowding around him. So he gets into Simon's boat, goes out a little from the shore. Simon's there trying to keep the boat from drifting away. Jesus sits down, takes this position of a teacher, and teaches the people we're told uh, the word of God. And we saw back in 443, this message that Jesus is proclaiming. It's this good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. So Jesus is speaking probably for a significant period of time. Uh, then verse 4, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So Simon and his colleagues, they've been up all night. Now they were out there, they were washing their nets up to the point that Jesus steps into the boat. So they they were at the end of their shift, really. They were washing their nets, getting ready to pack everything away. Because the best time to fish at the Sea of Galilee, then and I think even now is during the nighttime. They've been working all through the night. The types of nets uh, that they had. The word that's used here that describes these nets, these were nets that you would use at night. You wouldn't use them during the day because the fish can see them. The fish can see these nets. Now, despite what we might think, fish aren't stupid. Uh, they would avoid the nets. They would go into hiding. But here now, Jesus says to Simon, well, let down your nets for a catch. It's daytime. They've come to the end of their shift. Jesus has been speaking probably for a significant period of time. We may be at midday at this point. Simon answers, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Now, we can't really pick up the tone of uh, Simon here. I think we have to try and imagine it. Uh, We've read already that Jesus has healed uh, Simon's mother-in-law. If he wasn't there, he would have certainly heard about it. So there's reason for him to trust Jesus. So it may well be that he's saying, but because you say so, okay, I'll do it. But actually, when we come to verse 9, we see his response there suggests that he had no expectation of what was about to happen. Now, maybe it is more of a sort of sarcastic, look, come on, okay, because you say so. We'll do it. We've worked hard all night. We know exactly where the fish are and how it's going to work. But I'm just going to humor you. I'm not expecting much. Look, we don't really know. But whether he's coming with this sort of great faith or whether it's this sort of little doubting faith, regardless, you know, he trusts ultimately what Jesus says. He goes and he does it. He lets down the nets. And verse 6, When he'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. With so many fish they catch, the boats begin to sink. From a financial point of view, now this is hitting the jackpot. And yet, Simon is described here as Simon Peter. Now, he's not leaping for joy like someone who's just won the lottery. Rather than leaping for joy, he falls to his knees in shame. And he says to Jesus, get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. What is it that prompts this response? What we see in verse 9. By this linking word, for. So this is telling us, you know, what's the reason? Simon Peter says, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Why? Verse 9, we're told, for for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Because this wasn't an ordinary fishing trip. They shouldn't have caught anything at this time of day. And yet they have such a, a massive haul of fish. That the boats begin to sink. And these aren't diddy boats. We shouldn't be thinking like a small two-man boat uh, with fish in it. Uh, excavations from boats in first century or from the first century uh, in Galilee uh, show boats would have looked something like this. They would hold uh, up to 15 people. They're about eight meters long. So these are significant-sized boats. For this boat to be full of fish to the point where it's sinking, you're talking about a lot of fish. This isn't just Simon Peter, this is his colleagues as well. This is not the type of thing that anyone would have expected. And so certainly here, Simon Peter, he sees something of God's working through Jesus. Now he may not, and I'm not entirely sure he fully grasps Jesus's identity at this point. He doesn't necessarily recognize That Jesus is God. But at the very least, he recognizes something of God's working through Jesus. But I also think there might be some links here with with Genesis 1. I've not heard um, or, or read of anyone else drawing this out. So you might listen to this and think, Paul, I think you're reading a bit too much into it. Have a listen, test it, see what you think. But I think here we've got something that's taking us back. To Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1.28, when God commissions humanity, when he calls them to, to rule and to reign, to be fruitful and increase in number, to fill the earth uh, and subdue it, uh, this is what he says to them, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And now we're told here in this passage, what is the reason for Simon's response. It's because of this vast amount of fish that have been brought him. That's what causes him to fall to his knees in shame. So he's just seen Jesus exercising some rule and some authority over fish. And the divine human partnership that is spoken of in Genesis 1, this ruling and this reigning, Peter now is seeing this acted out before his very eyes in the person of Jesus. Because not only is Jesus God, Jesus is humanity as we were meant to be. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. These are two doctrines that the church has held to since the very beginning, and we need to hold on to both of them. And I wonder if... What it is that causes Simon Peter to fall to his knees in shame is that as he looks at Jesus, as he sees in Jesus humanity as we were called to be, and as he recognizes himself and his position in life, he sees just how far short he falls. Because that's what it means to be a sinner. As he describes himself, I'm a sinful man. To be a sinner means to say that we fall short. We don't measure up. We fall short, we don't measure up to God's standard. Now, so often in life, we compare ourselves uh, with other people. But that's the wrong measure for us to use. And I think instinctively, we kind of know that because we don't use that measure with other things. I imagine most people here have a mobile phone. Yeah? Quality control with a mobile phone. None of us here would expect quality control of a mobile phone in a factory to be done by just comparing different phones one to another. As though they're there on the floor and they go, well, you know, this phone here, it's got a cracked screen. But um, in comparison to this one that's got a duff battery, that's better. So this is a good phone. We'll package that one up and sell it in the shops. But maybe we'll dismiss that one. Or this phone here, the headphone jack doesn't work. But actually, if you compare it to one where the the external speakers don't work, well, this one's better. So we'll we'll package that one up and we'll sell it. Uh, But we'll get rid of that other one. If you received a mobile phone with a cracked screen and a, a Duff headphone connector, you wouldn't go, this is a good phone. If they told you this is a good phone, you immediately go, there's something wrong with this phone, wouldn't you? You wouldn't accept that phone. And Why is that? It's because we we don't compare those things to to other phones. We compare it to the original design. What is it meant to be like? And we exercise that judgment in other things in life. And yet sometimes when it comes to ourselves, we start comparing ourselves one to another. It's not the comparison with other things. But how does it measure up to the original design? And that's what Simon Peter sees as he looks at Jesus. Jesus. God's original calling for humanity. How do we measure up to that original design? And when we measure up to to God's original design, God's purpose for humanity, like Simon Peter, we see none of us measure up. We may be broken in different ways. Sometimes that's of our, our own choosing, sometimes not. But none of us measure up. And so Scripture declares all have sinned, everyone falls short. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. And as Peter, Simon Peter, is confronted with this reality, he says to Jesus, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Because our natural reaction when we when we see the reality of who we are when we see how far short we fall is to hide we want to hide we want to isolate ourselves we don't want to be seen because we're not the people that we want to be let alone the people that god has called us to be when i was 15 i had a similar experience to simon peter that I saw how far short I fell of God's calling, of God's purpose. And when I stopped comparing myself to others, and I saw myself in God's light, I saw just how far short I fell. I mean, compared to others, I seem pretty good. But in the light of who God is, I saw just how far short I fell. Now, I recognized that I was deserving of condemnation. that, That can seem like a very strange thing to say. It's not something that our culture would expect us to say. We're told, you know, if you have that negative view of yourself, there's something wrong. But when I saw myself as I really was, when I saw reality clearly... So like, just like a, a Duff mobile phone. like No one's going to want that. It needs to be cast aside, thrown onto the scrap heap. And I would have condemned myself. It wasn't something that I questioned. It may have been something that I dreaded, but it wasn't something that I questioned. And Simon Peter finds himself in the same place here. He doesn't come bringing a defense before Jesus. He doesn't come with these arguments, just this recognition of his guilt and of his shame and a fear and a dread and wanting to hide away and to isolate himself. So he just says, go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. And maybe you, you find yourself in that place today and you feel in that position of condemnation and of shame. Maybe you feel like it must be game over. And yet it doesn't have to be that way. This could just be a new beginning as we remember that Jesus' words from last week as he said he's come to bring this good news, good news to the poor. And we saw there that the poor is not just financially poor, but those who are without hope, those who have no way of bettering themselves. And Jesus has said he has come to bring good news to such people. Simon says to Jesus go away from me lord for i am a sinful man he knows he fears condemnation but how does jesus respond jesus says to him in verse 10 don't be afraid don't be afraid you don't need to cast me away you don't need to push me away because i've not come to condemn again we saw last week as jesus was preaching this message of good news and he was proclaiming this from the prophet Isaiah and he says he's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that passage in Isaiah actually goes on to speak of a day of vengeance of God. A day is coming, that that prophet of Isaiah says, when God will bring into judgment now, all that is opposed, everyone who's opposed to his goodness, he will bring justice on the earth. And we see ultimately this will be fulfilled when Jesus returns again. That there is a day of vengeance. There is a day, a fearful day in many ways. But Jesus stops short of speaking on that passage when he reads from Isaiah in Luke 4. Because he says, now, this time now, this is the time of the, year of the Lord's favor. It's the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying he didn't come at this point to condemn, but he came to save. And if you're sitting here today, whether you're here in the building, whether you're watching online, and you feel like you are in this position of condemnation, that is not a state that you need to stay in. Because now, now is the time of the Lord's favor. Jesus said, don't be afraid. And Jesus still says, don't be afraid. Don't fear. You don't need to cast Jesus away. You don't need to to drive him away. Because Jesus moves towards you at this point in time, not to condemn you, but to save. Jesus didn't come to condemn Peter. And yet the grace of God, it goes even further. Because not only does Jesus not condemn Peter, he doesn't cast him aside either. Peter doesn't become this disqualified spectator. What is it that Jesus says to Peter? Don't be afraid. In other words, I've not come to condemn you. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, from now on you will fish for people. In other words, you're going to join me in my work. Not only are you not condemned, but you are not cast aside. You are not sidelined. And what Jesus brings is not simply forgiveness, but he also brings about this restoration of this divine human partnership. And God has not sidelined humanity. The purposes of God, they find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, but then that doesn't mean that we're cast aside because someone else has fulfilled it. I mean, in many ways, that could happen. God's purposes find their fulfillment, their completeness in Jesus Christ. We could argue, well, then there's no need for the rest of us. But that is not what God in His grace has done. His purposes are brought to fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and then we are invited. We are brought into that. We are brought into the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And God restores us to himself in Christ, and he restores our God-given dignity. He restores his calling, this divine human partnership. Jesus is one who restores. Uh, But we also see here that Jesus draws. Jesus draws to himself. When I was around five, I was uh, helping my dad doing some painting uh, outside. I think it was some of the the lead work uh, under the window uh, he was going to be painting. Now, my dad didn't enter into this partnership with me because I had a particular uh, skill set at that point in time. And it wasn't because I was going to make the job easier for him. Uh, In fact, Uh, In seeking to help, I carried this pot of black paint through the living room, somehow clumsily dropped it, spilling black paint all over this carpet that was about a year old. So my dad didn't enter into this partnership because I had this great skill set because I was going to make life easier for him. This work partnership was simply because My dad delighted in me being able to share in that work. It was a privilege to be brought alongside someone and to share in that. And we recognize that when we're young, don't we? Sometimes we forget it as we get older. But when we're young, we want to share with what our parents are doing. We want to share in what others are doing. And God invites us into that. Sometimes the kingdom partnership, it can be presented as a burden. And I know I've, I've sat under some of those kind of guilt-inducing sermons on evangelism where the thrill and the excitement of the gospel, it feels like it's just being drained away as you listen. But it's not meant to be this burden. This fishing for people, this sharing in the work of, of evangelism, as well as just this wider sort of work of the spreading uh, of the good news of the kingdom of God is meant to be a privilege. It's a privilege that we are called into. This is the restoration of our God given dignity. Uh, maybe we need to be saying to ourselves less of, you know, I've got to do this, and more of, I get to do this. I get to partner in this. And we have this privilege then of sharing in this kingdom work. That God lifts us from this lowly state to, to share uh, in this work. With him, not because of anything that we bring, but because he delights to do it. And we need to remember that too. It's not because we are bringing any particular great skill set. This is just because of the goodness uh, and the love of God that we are brought in to share in this good work. The power, the ability doesn't lie in ourselves. So we see in this passage, it is Jesus who draws to himself. Simon Peter, the disciples, they've been up all night. They've been up all night fishing. They were fishermen by trade. This wasn't just a new job. This wasn't something that they decided a few weeks ago. You know, let's give fishing a go. We read elsewhere in the Gospels that the sons of Zebedee, at the very least, they were second generation fishermen. Simon Peter here, he seems to be the one who's in charge. These aren't just guys who are giving it a go. These are experienced fishermen. And we see in verse 5 that they've worked hard all night. They've not been lazy. They've not been sitting back. If they don't catch fish, then they don't get to feed their families. They don't work. They don't eat. They don't eat. They die. Now, they are working at this with all their might. And they've been working hard all night. And yet they catch nothing. Despite all their years of experience, and despite using all the right techniques, they end up catching nothing. And then what happens? We have a carpenter from Nazareth who comes, stands in the boat, and says, actually, it's the middle of the day. Let's go out and do some fishing. A guy who has no experience in fishing, sending them out completely the wrong point. And the result is so many fish that the boats begin to sink. Like more success than they can even handle. What is it that makes a difference? The, the only thing, or rather the only one who makes a difference is Jesus. Everything else seems to be going against what you would expect. It's Jesus, and as Jesus commissions the disciples to go out and to fish for people, now we see He's the one who draws, he draws the fish in. He's going to draw the people in. Now, the book of Acts is Luke's second volume. Luke wrote uh, two volumes. So we've got uh, the Gospel of Luke uh, and then Acts. And in Acts, we see this continued spreading of the good news of the kingdom. It's a theme that you see going through the book of Acts through Jesus' disciples. But Acts is presented to us as the ongoing work of Jesus. At the very beginning of Acts and constantly throughout the book of Acts, this is a theme. This is the ongoing work of Jesus. Now, it's through the church by the power of the Spirit. But it's the ongoing work of Jesus. It's not that the disciples take over from Jesus. Really, Jesus takes over the disciples. Because the church has grown, the church continues to grow because of Jesus' work. Because it's Jesus who draws to himself. It's Jesus who makes a difference. The ability is in Jesus. Now, back in uh, August 2010, I started working at a, a church in uh, Virginia Water. And this was my first full-time paid uh, work in a church. Now, that, that's since the age of 15. I sensed, I believe that was what God was calling me into. That's what this partnership in sharing in this kingdom would look like in my life. And it will look like different things in, in one another's lives. Maybe it might mean that you do devote your, your vocation, that your paid employment is working in the church. For some of us, it's no, we continue in a particular job that we have. It's gonna look different for all of us. We're invited into this kingdom partnership though. But anyway, for me, it was working uh, in a church. That was in August 2010 when I first started. And that very morning, as I was waking up, very clearly, this, this image was imprinted in my mind. And, and I saw this lake. And on this lake were all different types of, of ships and boats. And they're all fishing, all utilizing different techniques. Now, some of them were just very small two-men fishing boats with a fishing line. Some of them huge trawlers, big dragnets. Some were using sonar. Now, some were just using old tried and tested methods. None of them caught anything. And then I saw that same lake again, and there was this lone boat in the middle, few people inside. And in the middle is Jesus. And there are fish that are just streaming towards him. You know, there are various strategies and techniques that we may seek to employ in this work of the kingdom. And it's not that strategies and techniques themselves are necessarily bad. We see in the book of Acts different strategies and different techniques being employed. But that's not what is going to make the difference. And just having that reminder of that first day, that kind of first step of a new journey, and one that I need to keep coming back to and it's easy to forget, that it's not about finding the right strategy and the right technique. That is not what is going to make the difference. The real question is, is Jesus in the boat? Is Jesus in the boat? It was Jesus who drew the fish to himself. It's Jesus who draws the people to himself. That's what made the difference for the original disciples, is what makes the difference for us. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, where where is our reliance? Where is our dependence? There are things that we will plan Um, as a chapel, uh, and we need to. We can't just hope that people are just going to turn up to something that we've never advertised. There are certain strategies and maybe methodologies that we need to use, but that's not where our hope is to be. That's not what is going to make the difference. And we're not trying to search through and find, you know, that special key to find that silver bullet. There is no silver bullet. There's Jesus... There's no silver bullet of technique because it is Jesus who makes the difference. So let us constantly be, be asking, checking with ourselves, not individually but also corporately as a church. Now where's our hope? Where are we putting our confidence? Are we looking to ourselves? Are we looking to, to things that seem within our own power and our own grasp? Or Are we looking to Jesus? Now in Christ, our God-given dignity Is restored. And regardless of our past, regardless of our present abilities, now we're not sidelined because Jesus is one who restores and Jesus is one who draws. We're brought back into this kingdom partnership to share in God's good and gracious uh, and His joyful, His delightful work in extending the blessing of His presence over the whole earth. God's not one who sidelines us. But he calls us to come and we come and we keep coming in repentance and in faith. He calls us to share then in the fullness of Christ's life. So let's give thanks for that now as we pray uh, and let's pray that Christ indeed would be our focus. Father, we thank you That you have not sidelined us. But that you delight to to bring us into, Lord, all your fullness. And we pray that you would help us to to see that more and more. To see what a privilege to see the honor of that calling. That indeed it would not be burdensome. That we would be those who say that we get to share in this work. But also, Lord, that we recognize that it's not because of Anything that we bring, or that that releases both the pressure from us, but also any arrogance or pride that might be in us, that that we would be looking to Jesus, that we would be exalting him, that we would be giving glory and praise to him, and see, he is the one uh, who draws people to himself. Father, may Jesus be lifted up uh, among us in our lives individually, in our lives corporately as a church. Lord, and may we know and see more and more the joy of of seeing Jesus work in uh, and through us, Lord, your people. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or would like prayer relating to anything you've just heard, then please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. You can do so by emailing us using hello at thurfieldchapel.org or fill in the contact form on our website or send us a message on social media. Thank you again and please do join us next week, online or in Thurfield itself at one of our services or events. We would be delighted to welcome you. God bless.